HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and in the studio today, I've got some old friends and some new friends, and they brought whiskey, so they're the best kinds of friends. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the Speakeasy. This week, we are, you know, we're moving into the fall and winter, Um, clearly today. It's kind of uh, something, a little bit of both here in Brooklyn, but it's warm out, man. It's kind of it's kind of balmy. It's kind of balmy, but it's still, in my opinion, the best season to be drinking some whiskey, especially American whiskey. And we have Aviana Ponzi from Bomberger's Distillery in Pennsylvania, Lancaster, and my good old buddy Justin Lane Briggs. Welcome, hey. welcome hey. back, and welcome for the first time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, so excited to be here on this balmy day. <laughs> I am too. Um, <laughs> better here than you know. Anywhere else, in my opinion, right now, because we are hanging out with some friends and we're going to be talking whiskey. And this is a fairly new product to to me and to a lot of people. So why don't you give me the rundown on uh, what we've got here? Sure. It's actually very new. We just bottled three weeks ago. Um, Bomberger's is new and old kind of together as Bomberger's is and was the oldest operating distillery in the country. Um, You may know it better as uh, what was Michter's in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. only... Mictors for about 20 years and Bombergers for about 150 years. So we are trying to resurrect that brand and um, keep Pennsylvania whiskey in Pennsylvania. It's cool. It's it's actually, you know, that's where a lot of the uh, the whiskey rebellion happened back in the day. And Certainly did. Yes. the uh, uh, Our master distiller is Dick Stoll, who uh, created and distilled the famed age Hirsch bourbon, um, was trained by Everett Beam. And the Beams were actually Bohm's from Lancaster County that didn't move down south until after the Whiskey Rebellion for obvious reasons. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely like a, a super rich history there. 
with uh, you know, especially rye whiskey. But I mean, of course, that's you're starting the uh, the limestone belt up there and kind of going exactly. Down the so it's a great place to uh, make some whiskey. So yeah, so we're uh, resurrecting the brand and. Uh, Tell me a little bit about like the process. Uh, so this all started over two years ago, um, where uh, my husband was delving into genealogy, and we're restaurant people, spirits people, and um, the two sort of came together. We're like, wow, there's this rich history in Pennsylvania, and my husband grew up in the shadow of Michter's, which is only five miles away from his hometown in Lidditz, and we're just wondering why nobody was doing anything with it and why it had sort of been stolen and taken down to Kentucky. And through... Uh, Michael Skirt Experience. <laughs> yes. Through Michael Skirt Experience has helped us uh, distribute it in New York and we're so, so excited to uh, to bring this brand back um, <clears throat> to once what it was. 150 years, starting in the 1700s. My husband... Um, after we started this whole process about two years ago, realized that he's actually related to the Bombergers, which was a hair-raising experience. Um, and we had a local historian connect us with Dick Stoll and Elaine, who's his wife. And he was a distiller there at Mictors for 30 years, um, distilling every, all the Mictors products, a church bourbon, a wild turkey rye, and uh, many other greats, and was just sort of slipped into obscurity and we pulled him out, and hopefully he's going to get his due now. Wow. His story is pretty amazing. Um, I, I, I don't think I've asked you this before. This is Justin, by the way. Uh, I don't think I've asked you before um, as we – not that my voice sounds anything like Damon's, but um, I don't think I've asked you before as we've been talking about this, uh, what, like, what, what uh, state the uh, distillery itself, the Bomberger's distillery, when, when you guys kind of started reinvestigating that history, like what, it, what, what did it look like when you guys first – went and visited and saw you know you, you talk about eric growing up in the in the shadow of that of that kind of industrial history but um right so i in the late 80s um mixers got run into the ground and was sort of left in disrepair and has uh been that way you know since that time the bombergers building which is the original building um which basically kind of looks like a, a barn um less like a factory and a plant which is sort of the, the what the mictors grew up around that building um that's the building that's on the national uh, registry of historic places oh, cool. since uh, pre-prohibition time and only closed during prohibition and then was reopened as many other things um that's the only thing that stands now it's uh and also um like a small warehouse but everything else is has gone there was nobody preserved it so it just sort of uh went by the wayside unfortunately mm. so like it's only so re- yeah exactly yeah. so only recently if people start taking an interest in it and um you know we're setting up a non-for-profit to try to save that building and um keep it going do you guys have plans to like build a a museum or any sort of like a, 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 a I don't know a, a way to, for people to kind of engage with the history that exists yeah, our there. Our plan is remaining. to have a museum there and a tasting room and possibly maybe distill on site or close to it. We're, we're trying to figure that out right now, but um, we have some good friends who who own the property and are on our side, and so we're super psyched. That's great. You know, there's so many there's so much heritage and history that gets lost. Um, well, especially because of prohibition, uh, you know. We, yes, sort of cancel that everything. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> kind of ruined a lot of stuff. I mean, thanks, Carrie Nation. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean that, that's great. Um, it's one thing I like about like the new craft distillery 
like movement, if you will, yeah. um, and researching is that there's not only uh, a desire to preserve uh, the the spirits of the past and recent past, really, and uh, and that heritage, but also it's not just it's not just the juice; it's also the or the process. It's the actual structures, you know. Like it's it's great when you. I love driving through Pennsylvania, especially like you know when you're on a motorcycle and you're just out there and like you see all the barns with the big stars on oh, them and stuff I, yeah, like that. And that's I was just telling Justin, I'm like, oh yeah, I just it's horse and buggies and farms and it's that every day. Um, we're hoping also to to grow some grain on the same property because uh, I guess back in the day they did grow rye for Bombergers and Mictures, just right there, a stone's site. throw away on Ooh. site from from the property. So that would just be. Amazing, especially you know when you have like uh, field to field to bottle, as it were. You know, like you, you can do it all on site. And yeah, estate distillation doesn't really exist very much here in here in the states. I mean, well, we have Hill Rock, and I, I mean, is that is there anybody else? I can't think of a, a single one. Um, I, it's skipping my mind right now. Yeah. yeah, no, it's tough. I mean, it's difficult to do as well, which is probably why not a lot of people are are not doing it. It's difficult enough to find people who actually have experience in distilling in the craft industry, let alone then you're adding. You know, farming, malting—it's just a lot, yeah. a lot going on. Marketing, <laughs> so many skills. <laughs> you so know, many so skills. many skills, so little time. I know. I, I've, I've been threatening to just like leave New York City and go back to Oklahoma to my farm and put a still there because, <clears> like, we already grow wheat and corn, so it's like might as well just do it. Do <laughs> it. I would miss New York. Though. You'll get to a point where w- you'll be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> As a native New Yorker who left. Yeah, you'll, you'll get to a point where you'll be like, I can just come back and visit. It's okay. Yo, well, you were um, you were telling me before the show that you actually grew up here and, and actually just blocks away <clears throat> from where I live now. Yes, I am uh, a native, born and raised New Yorker. Um, grew up in Borham Hill on Pacific Street between Hoyt and Bonds, and still have a house in Carroll Gardens. Um, which for the first couple of years of living in Pennsylvania, I definitely cried for. But um, <laughs> I'm starting to appreciate the. Uh, the uh, the farmland and just uh, and also being a foodie, uh, just the embarrassment of riches that are in Lancaster County is sure. um, is is really fun to work with. Really heavy. I mean, like that's yeah. No, it's some serious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel it with that way when I go home <clears throat> to visit Vermont. Also. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Lancaster County is the largest non-irrigated farmland in the United States. That's crazy. And then they've been. I mean, obviously they've been here since um, my husband Eric's people have been here since late 1600s. Just. Good. Before we were, I know, and I'm Italian from New York, so for me, it's like, why are you guys so into genealogy? Oh, because you've been here a long time. <laughs> I've only been here for about five seconds, so it's not as appealing for us. <laughs> yeah, I, it, but you know, that's. I think it's great that you have a, a place here and a place there, you know, so you can actually bounce back and forth. Yeah, it's I mean, nice. It's it's nice to be in the city it and is. also be able to get out of it. That that escape is nice, and it's only a few hours away, really. Yeah, it's about two and a half hours away, not too far. Yeah, I mean, do you ever? Uh, I mean. To me, if if I were in that situation, I would probably be like hustling back and forth, like, all right, man, you know, like, let's, you know, like go to the farmer's market there, you know, here, and then like kind of figure out what's going on and then kind of like bounce back and forth. And like, because I was like, that's one of the things I like about New York City is that for being so, like, such a city is that people are striving so hard to connect to the country life, you know? Well, I think more so than. As a New Yorker, more so than the people who live in the country, because they take it for granted. Exactly. Where when you're in New York, you're like, oh, it's farmers markets. It's uh, the obsession is much more because 
you're surrounded by concrete. Yeah. And I think just now people in, in Lancaster are really starting to appreciate those deep agrarian roots because yeah. they're sort of like, ooh, farming, ugh. That's totally true. So, so it's just such a wild, like, yeah. a, a dichotomy of uh, we're here, we're all about it, and we think farmers are great. And they're like, eh. They're like, yeah, well, why don't you come out here and do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's... Uh, hard work. I remember, like, probably about five years ago, I was at work and... uh uh, it was at Frankie's, and there were my neighborhood restaurant. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> our, our neighborhood. <laughs> and um, there were there were a few girls who were working at Frankie's, and these three different girls were talking about moving out to the country, moving to all separately different like farms, going out to work on like a cheese farm and and this farm and that farm. And I was like, oh man, and I like I almost like talked them out of it. You know, I was like, well, you don't, you don't. I, my, I would have had the same. I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? But like, you just have to let them. Yeah, but I mean, like, I grew up it. on a farm, so like, and that's like, you know, changing plow sweeps for you know, ten cents a, a sweep. It's not glamorous. Know, it's, it's not good, you know. But, <laughs> but at the same time, there's something to be said about the the process and like the the respect and appreciation for Agreed. Someone's doing this. Someone has to do this for this to happen. Right. You know, to get the grain to make the whiskey to. I cut the staves to make the barrels. You know, there's in, it, there's so much more involved than just people glamorize uh, Every, craft spirits, right. especially and and like <clears throat> fancy foods and restaurants. But like, there's a lot that goes into it. There really know? is. I think people do glamorize distilling in general, where it's. I mean, it is somewhat of a manufacturing process. It's not. I mean, the the liquor end and the spirit end of it. It's sort of the end consumer is glamorous, but certainly the minding the stills as things drip out yeah. like one tiny thing is not quite as glamorous as i think people think maybe sit on the porch with a shotgun That's, yeah <laughs> i mean realistically you know much like uh much like growing growing uh growing vegetables isn't you know isn't as glamorous as we might imagine you know like being you know kind of touching it from a from a sort of removed perspective here in the city but like you know, I, I think similarly, like I, you know, growing up, growing up on farms in Vermont and, and, and around that community, um, I took it for granted, and I was I always didn't really connect with uh, with what that meant until I moved here, and then started looking at. I think we talked about this last time, looking at mm-hmm. spirits as an agricultural product too, and then kind of right. re- drawing those lines backwards a, yeah. again. You know? That's exactly what it is, and people are like, oh, well, why does Pennsylvania have such a deep distilling roots? I'm like, well, because they were farmers, and there was no currency. This was prior to any currency in the United States. So if you had grain, you had fruit, how were you going to transport it? It was going to go bad. So you had to distill it. It was really just an easy way to hold on to capital, basically. And it's kind of a more more fun way to uh, enjoy certainly it's more <laughs> fun to imbibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. And it's amazing that so many of our like kind of go to, uh, especially in terms of like the resurgence of rye and things like that, um, go to kind of spirits within you know within the, the American whiskey category are influenced by or are are nodding at referencing maybe um, the the Pennsylvania history of distillation. But you know, I, I know my my. My go-to rye is, you know, a lot of the times when I'm making cocktails is named for a square in Philadelphia, but uh, certainly hasn't been in Pennsylvania for a long time. Sure. Certainly true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This, it's kind of funny the uh, the way – I think it's very interesting, you know, like we were saying. I mean, like growing up in Oklahoma, there was – I tried hard, really hard, and I kind of succeeded for a little while to stop saying y'all. <laughs> and then when I moved to New York City, it's a style that's came, came back, out. Came back it, real hard. Well, man. Yes, well, because that's you're differentiating yourself, which I think is uh, 
is always a good thing where it's like eh, everyone was saying y'all then you were trying not to be that where in new york you're like oh yeah. no, no no i'm from there that's why i don't get rid of, don't get rid of my uh my vermont driver's license or my vermont license plates you know come on <laughs> let's keep this well, okay, so speaking of differentiating, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, let's try some of this whiskey and talk about what makes it different from the rest on the market. Be back in just a moment with Bomberger's Whiskey. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef's Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. All right, we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy, and in the studio today we have my good old buddy Justin Lane Briggs and my new friend Aviana Ponzi from Bomb Burgers Whiskey Distillery in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We just poured some drams right now, so we're gonna check it out. I, we were talking about the show, like differentiating, and um, what what what's one of the things? I know you guys have been kind of blowing up onto the scene very quickly. Um, first of all. I love the packaging. Thank you. Um, Thank it's you. Really, it's a really cool bottle, and it actually looks like it's from the early 1700s. Yeah, that's sort of what we were going for. <laughs> we wanted a nod to the past, but still um, looking somewhat modern as well. It's so like we tried a, to... It's like a giant flask. I need bigger yeah, boots. <laughs> exactly. We're definitely about all about the uh, the flask. It does fit in your hand pretty well. Yeah. Um, like that was like another, all good bottles. That was another criteria as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, I think from 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 my angle on the distri- kind of the distribution end of it uh, right now, um, one of the things that I think has has catalyzed that uh, that explosion of interest in it and uh, that conversation piece is exactly but you know, both the heritage that we were just talking about, you know, that that kind of rooting in tradition, um, and then specifically the the embodiment of that tradition uh, in in Dick Stoll, who we, who. Who we could tell us a talk about. a little bit more about. Um, Dick Stoll is really one of the last great American distillers uh, who is n- not working for a huge company a- at this point. He was the uh, distiller of H. Hirsch Bourbon, uh, which I think many people think is uh, a southern uh, Kentucky product. 
It's the best bourbon you'll never taste. As uh, <laughs> Chuck Cowdery uh, wrote a book about it from Whiskey Advocate. And uh, I think everyone thinks that it's uh, from somewhere else, but it's from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, he distilled that in 1974 and hasn't really distilled uh, anything since the closing of, uh, of Michter's. And since that whole craziness with H. Hirsch bourbon has recently come out, $1,600 a bottle. Um, every whiskey nerd on the face of the earth is trying to get their hands on it. And um, he was just... Uh, just a of the greatest generation type of guy goes out hunting and fishing at age 80 and just when you ask him about it he's like oh well what was different how'd you distill he's like well that's just what we did at the plant every day <laughs> and that's just the type of man that he real that he dude. is yeah he's just like he's the he's the real deal was trained under everett beam he was first sent after the korean war to dig ditches the ditches that he happened to be digging were ditches at Michter's, um, which they were building some some new buildings. And uh, um, he was the only one out of like 100 guys who was tapped to come and actually work at the distillery. He worked his way up uh, as like the head of maintenance. And then Everett Beam said, hey, you know what you're doing. How would you like to uh, become the distiller here? And, uh, and that was the master distiller for 30 years. Wow. That's such a cool. Like, I love that man because, like, we have clearly a lot of bartenders on the show, so it it reminds me of uh, kind of that story, you know, like where you know the bartender starts out as like uh, like a dishwasher in a place, and then like works your way through the ranks. It's a true American story, and I think in a day and age where a lot of um, spirit brands are fabricating it, it's like a real. A real story. A real, uh, just a real historical story that um, we felt needed to be told. Yeah. But, you know, what's, what's in the bottle now is being told with transparency, too, which is, which is pretty right on. Um, so what's the, what's the blend that he's putting together? So in, in the, to bridge the gap for us of trying to build our distillery and bring this out into the market, we've uh, created a blend, which Dick has done the blend for. So our good friends up at uh, Finger Lakes Distilling, Thomas McKenzie, who is a big Dick Stoll fan and is anxious for him to get, a, to get his due, um, gave us uh, some really great three-and-a-half-year-old rye. Um, and the uh, bourbon is a two and a half year old uh, from LDI. Cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's like eighty nine, eighty nine eleven eleven. Yeah, cool. And the rye is a little bit different than his usual age and mash bill that you might see on the on the shelves uh, for Mackenzie Rye. Cool. Yeah, it comes through in a big way. I mean, it yeah. really does. Do I take a sip? Yeah, let's take a sip. We should drink some. <laughs> Radio silence. <laughs> bad news, bad news. Don't worry, yeah. Jack. We're going to pour you a glass. <clears throat> um, You're right. The rye rides so like clearly for, for such a low percentage of, of Mackenzie rye specifically. It's, it's like, quite it, amazing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of character there. There's a lot of spice. Yeah, I mean, so it brings up another question. Do you, do you, and this is totally like everyone, any single person's opinion, but how do you like to drink your whiskey? Do you like to drink it neat, or do you like rocks, or do you like to mix it in cocktails? I mean, like, what's your typical go-to? I, I'm usually a neat rocks person. I never drank whiskey and cocktails. Um, sort of a recent development of everyone being obsessed with cocktails. I was um, drinking whiskey a, a bit before that. Yeah. So, 
so there weren't too many options. You were just you were drinking it neat, so I sort of have kept. Yeah, and I love the taste of it. So I mean, and I do enjoy cocktails, but I just do prefer it either neat yeah. or maybe with a, a cube or two. A lot of people will get uppity, um, you know, when when it comes to uh, mixing craft whiskeys and cocktails because they're like, all right, well, we worked really hard on this. I love it. I think you know, it's fantastic. I, I think it is too. Yeah. I'm, I, if somebody wants to mix me a cocktail, I'm all about it. It's just when I first started, when I was younger, sort of switching from clear spirits over to brown spirits. Mm-hmm. You were just that's how you were drinking them. <laughs> and this one's so smooth. I mean, it's like it's it's actually kind of the rye is there, but it's like it's kind of it's kind of delicate, you know. Mm. Well, you get kind of that sweetness up front with the bourbon, mm. and then you get sort of a rye finish. Um, gives it a nice like what I would say in like food, like a middle and a backbone mm-hmm. that just, that's something that you're like, what is that? Oh man. This makes me want to like, I just want to sit on a porch swing with this. Like we're drinking out of Mason jars. How Brooklyn is that? Of yeah. course. But, uh, how Pennsylvania is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think that was where Brooklyn got it from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, this is great. Um, and I'm really Thank glad you. that you brought it on the show today. Cause like, I've been hearing so much about it lately and I'm really psyched. I've been actually reading about it. You guys, I've gotten quite a bit of press. It's and, and we're really operating on a shoestring budget as sort of a um, a labor of love. So just people who are really into whiskey have been taking note of it, be, just because of the lineage and because of Dick Stoll's yeah. just amazing, amazing uh, past. What's what's uh, what's your perfect whiskey moment in your opinion in your mind? Like what like what's your setting for that? It's funny because it's sort of a, a dichotomy and a duality of uh, a, a bar urban whiskey moment and now a new sort of country whiskey moment that was never in my lexicon before. Um, and it, it's taken place actually while we were bottling. Every time we bottle, we pull out the A.H. Hirsch and uh, <laughs> everyone has a, a tiny little nip. Just because it's a uh, stretch it out, yeah, you gotta stretch it out. <laughs> that and we make we a, go down to a bottling, I yeah, think, a right? little mark on exactly. the bottle, a little mark on the bottle, a and mark with a date, and the date, <laughs> and yeah, that's that's the Bombergers. That's what we do now. Cool, I love that. You know, that's you know, going back to the farm thing is like I remember, you know, our our big thing was like when we were working on the farm was uh, you know brewing sun tea in the big jar. Oh yeah, you know, you just put it on the back porch and you'd go out. Uh, my mom was from out west and used to do the same. I still do that in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, but it was great because like by the time you like went out and like it was maybe like time for a lunch break, you come back and the tea was brewed by the sun. You know, it was great. And then like, I just remember like throwing a bunch of ice in it and just downing it. And now it's like become an obsession with me. I'm obsessed with iced tea. It's crazy. <laughs> if you follow my Twitter, it's all I talk about. Well, then you should try <laughs> something called Meadow Tea. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, I don't know if it's in other places, but it's a very Pennsylvania Dutchy beverage. I've had it. Have you had it? Yeah. yeah well, wild, they pick wild mint and then do it in the a la sun tea. Yeah. It's delicious. So good. Yeah, this is like, like I said before, it's like, I want to be on a porch swing hanging out with this. It's like... It, I, there, you know, there are different like uh, opinions on proof as far as whiskeys go, and this being at eighty six, interesting is that really you cool. mentioned that. And I've had a lot of discussion from whiskey nerds, and oh, why is it at eighty six proof? And it should be higher, should be nineties, should be. And Dick insisted on it being at eighty six proof. That was his a harken back to his old sweet spot yeah. um, when he was at Michter's. It's very awesome. I mean, like as far as like as far as like like actual longevity with hanging around and drinking it, like because like it helps. It, it definitely helps. 
And it kind of sucks. I don't want to sit around and have one glass of whiskey. Maybe that's just me being terrible. <laughs> but I would like to have multiples, and that definitely helps I out. Hear you. you know? I don't want the party to stop too soon, <laughs> I guess. There's a lot of uh, a lot of life and love to be experienced, and uh, it's it's good to be able to, like, hang out with the whiskey for a while. And take that's, your time. That's take why session time. beers are great, too, you know? Totally. Exactly. For, yeah. Totally. Have a I session agree. beer and yeah, how many? Burgers. I mean, how many 9% like, can you have at a certain point? Seriously. And I can't. I mean, for me anymore, it's like I'm one. and How many I'm 127 like, proof? Uh, no, I'm, I can't even have, it's like half, and then I'm asleep, so... Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is great. I'm really excited to finally get to try this, and uh, I, it's a great whiskey. I'm really into it. Um, Cheers, and it's thanks, it's man. actually it's got so a lot of like a lot of like a lot going on for kind of like a blend of some some younger. Yeah, whiskeys, I mean, you know? it drinks a lot older than than it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, what do you uh, give us the rundown on your like your contacts your yeah uh, your your uh, website. What is the website? <laughs> so, you can find us at bombergersdistillery.com or on Facebook, Twitter. Um, please reach out to us and help us preserve uh, Pennsylvania whiskey. Yeah, it's great. I'm really psyched for you guys. Thank um, you. Thank you. It's been you a long s- time coming. Yeah. And it's been uh, it's been awesome having you on the show, Aviana. Um, My uh, pleasure. I, it's great because I know that I'm going to see you a lot because you ha- <laughs> you're you like, you're bi-coastal. Yes, I am. <laughs> Farm and city. Farm and city. <laughs> yeah. And Justin, thanks for coming back on the show. And, Always a pleasure. And bringing me a, a, a new friend. <laughs> My, <laughs> right. My, My pleasure entirely. Awesome. Well, cheers. Thanks, guys, so much. And uh, that's you. it for the Speakeasy this week. Check in to heritageradionetwork.org for many more like this. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 